0: Previously on Blockbuster.
1: Roger, roger. Alright, here we go. And release, release, release. Do you guys see that? It's the hull of the ship. Imagine this thing in all its glory.
2: It must have been beautiful.
1: Wow. This is incredible, Jim. You think they'll let me make it? The movie? It has to be perfect. Hey, Dad.
0: You crashed into the shipwreck? Yeah, yeah. It just seems an awful waste to go to all that effort just to shoot a movie. I'm Matt Schrader, and Blockbuster starts now.
3: Oh, Pardon me. Um, is this where the audition uh, is? Uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead and sign in over here.
0: James had teamed up with producer John Landau, a former Fox executive, to form a new production company, Lightstorm Entertainment. They were breaking in their new offices auditioning actors for Titanic.
1: And speed. All right, go ahead.
2: Mr. Dawson, it's been a pleasure. I sought you out to thank you and now I have.
0: Both Gwyneth Paltrow and Claire Danes had come in to audition, but neither were right to play the character of Rose. There was also fierce competition for the male lead. Tom Cruise wanted the part, but at 35, he was a bit too old, and Matthew McConaughey, too, at 27. James wanted this to be a story of first love. He sorted through hundreds of actors with his casting director, Molly Flynn, and they'd eventually find a match. They scheduled a screen test to see the chemistry between 20-year-old British actress Kate Winslet and 21-year-old Leonardo DiCaprio.
1: All right, sorry I'm late. That's all right, just getting acquainted. Kate. Hello again. And Leo. Hello. Hey, Mr. Cameron. Uh, Please, Jim. Okay, Jim, I was thinking I I don't
4: really want to do the audition
1: scene. Uh, Why not? Well, it's a bit light for me.
0: Leo was an up-and-coming actor, and even at 21 years old took his craft seriously. But so did James. You're reading.
1: I've got Kate here from England. Uh, right. so this is a walk and talk scene after Rose tries to throw herself off the ship and it's the first real conversation, so uh, we need that spark. We all set up? Yep. And my stars? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, roll camera, I'll read you in. Take one, and action. Jack and Rose walk side by side. Well,
4: Rose, we've walked about a mile around this boat deck, and I reckon um, that's not why you came to talk to me, is it?
2: I... I want to thank you for what you did. Not just for... for pulling me back, but for your discretion. You're welcome. Look, I know what you must be thinking. Poor little rich girl. What does she know about misery?
1: No. No, that's not what I was thinking. What I was thinking was, what could have happened to this girl to make her think that she has no way out?
2: Well, it was everything. My whole world and the people in it.
0: Kate held out her hand to Leah, revealing an engagement ring.
1: God, look at that thing.
0: You would have gone straight to the
1: bottom.
2: I feel I'm standing in the middle of a crowded room screaming at the top of my lungs and no one even looks up. Do you love him? Pardon me?
1: Do you love him? Well,
2: you're being very rude.
1: Oh, Oh, they're perfect.
2: You shouldn't be asking me this.
1: Well, it's a simple question. Do you love the guy or not?
2: (laughs) This is absurd. You are rude, and uncouth, and presumptuous, and... I am leaving now. Jack, Mr. Dawson, it's been a pleasure. I sought you out to thank you, and now I have thanked you.
4: And you've insulted me.
2: Well, you deserved it. Right. Right.
4: I thought you were leaving. Uh,
2: I am. You are so annoying. Wait, I don't have to leave. This is my
4: part of the ship. You leave. Oh, well, well, well. Now who's being rude?
1: Uh, And scene. That was incredible.
2: Wow. (laughs) Even if you don't hire me, you have to hire him.
1: You both got the job.
0: Kate and Leonardo had an incredible chemistry and production moved ahead. This blockbuster film would employ more than 2,000 people over the next year, many working six days a week. Most of their filming would be in Mexico, but James also needed to shoot the present day scenes of a crew discovering the remains of the Titanic. These scenes would open and end the film, and James knew the perfect ship to get the job done, the Keldish. This is Blockbuster. The story of James Cameron. Episode 9. Halifax, Nova Scotia. It was the closest major city to where Titanic sank and a place that had buried many of the dead. They were off the coast filming scenes of Bill Paxton diving in the submersible. Cut. Cut!
1: Damn it! What's the issue with the lighting here? Do I need to come do it myself?
0: James ran a tight ship, and the crew, some of them locals, were starting to get frustrated after the first few days of James' barking orders. And now there was a bad case of the flu going around, delaying his shooting schedule.
1: Damn it, we're not set up. Just wasting everyone's time here.
0: And money. About $20,000 every hour, 300 grand a day. James had been through this before and came in with precise plans for everything. He saw barking orders as being most efficient with an enormous crew to command in real time. After Aliens, one reporter even went so far as to dub him the scariest man in Hollywood, a title that now followed him everywhere.
4: And that's lunch, everyone. Back in 30.
0: John Landau was walking toward James with a cell phone in hand. Jim, you got a call. Who is it? Jamie. Composer Jamie Horner had been trying to get a hold of James to discuss the film's music. Hello, Jamie?
4: Hey, Jim. It's Jamie.
0: Yeah, I know. What's up?
4: Well, I have this idea for the music, but I need you to be in a good mood.
1: Come on, Jamie. No,
4: that's the deal. Are you in a good mood?
1: No, not really. Can this wait?
4: Yes. Yes, of
1: course. Alright, thanks. John, here's your phone back. What was that about? The fuck if I know. He'll call back later.
0: Catering had set up lunch in the main commissary of the ship. The savory aroma of fresh soup, two big vats of it, filled the room. James slurped his soup slowly while looking over the call sheet. But as the crew finished, people started to wobble and fall down. What the food? What the Hey, are you alright? I don't
1: feel very good.
0: More and more people were slumping over on their tables. James turned back to his soup, which seemed to be changing shape, and waved his hand in front of his face. Whoa. That's weird. He had blurred vision.
1: Oh, God. It's the soup.
0: Nobody eat the soup. James stumbled his way out of the room and into the bathroom to try to make himself throw up. slipped in and out of a daze as his vision morphed and twisted.
3: I'll That's
5: not what meant.
0: he carefully stood up, unsure how much time had passed. He stumbled out of the bathroom to find the ship empty, no one in sight.
1: Hello, where do I, I
0: have to get out of here.
1: How how do I get out of here?
0: In the blink of an eye, someone yanked him back into reality, into the room where there was still pandemonium.
1: Good crew over here, bad crew over here. Jim, you good? I'm, I'm good.
0: I'm good. One of James' eyes was completely bloodshot, bright red, like the Terminator.
1: Are you sure you're good? Yeah, yeah, I, I threw it up.
0: It, it's wearing off. Some of the crew had now formed a conga line. James knew this wasn't food poisoning. This was something worse. The Teamsters, who had skipped the soup, were rushing people out to a nearby hospital. Christy? The second AD, Christy Sills, was standing a few feet away, staring straight back at James, looking dazed. He picked up his walkie. Christy, come in. Over. Christy seemed startled and reached for her walkie.
2: Christy here, go ahead, over.
0: James waved his hand. She didn't respond, still looking straight back. Christy, what's your 20? Over. She picked up her walkie again.
2: I'm... at the hospital.
1: What... What the Christy, you know you're talking to me on your walkie and I'm standing right in front
0: of you. Christy suddenly looked confused and panicked. You're just as fucked up as we are. At that moment, Christy charged at James to attack with a pen in her hand. Ah,
1: hey, 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 stop it! Stop it! Stop it! it help! Help! Hey! Help, hey, help. hey ah, ah, now, ah. Ah. Christy, back up, back up, back up,
0: back up. John Landau and Bill Paxton both rushed James away.
5: Jesus, you okay, man? Yeah. What the hell's going on?
0: I think somebody drugged the soup. James was right. The toxicology report showed it was a hallucinogenic drug, PCP, that someone had poured into the soup, only the vat that James had eaten out of. He realized someone had tried to poison him and endangered the whole crew. More than 50 people were treated at the hospital, but no one seriously hurt. Hey, it's James. Jim, it's Bill. What the hell is going on? What do you mean? It was Bill Mechanic, the head of motion pictures at Fox, the closest thing James had to a boss.
5: I have the trades calling me asking for comment about this PCP
0: thing.
1: Uh, Oh, how'd they hear about that?
5: Wait, is this true? Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, somebody drugged the soup. Uh, About 50 people. Everyone's fine.
5: Jesus Christ,
1: Jim. Everyone's fine. Nobody was hurt, just looking at a couple days of delays. What? Who did it? Catering? No, no. Catering says it was someone on the crew, but we don't know. Uh, Police think that maybe someone was trying to pull a prank on me. Police are involved? Yeah. They 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 didn't find anything. It's a fluke thing. They just want a juicy story. It'll go away.
5: We're gonna get slammed by press for this, Jim. You guys, get it under control.
0: James finished filming in Nova Scotia, already over budget and behind schedule. For the next few months, the majority of filming, James would be living in Rosarito, Mexico, living in a modest trailer on their studio lot as pressure and gossip continued to escalate. James and John Landau arrived to a spectacular sight, the full-scale titanic replica nearly done. Wow,
1: she's beautiful. Will you look at that?
0: 775 feet long, with hydraulic moving decks and the ability to tilt and lower into the water. The enormous red and black hull glowed in the sunlight. The gold trim and angled smokestacks were awe-inspiring. They'd actually only built the starboard side of the ship, which was visible from land. The rest would be done with computer-generated graphics. But James' blue eyes sparkled as he looked at this great ship parked on the shore of his own miniature film studio. Months of filming would pass here. Action. Already $75 million spent just halfway through, Titanic was proving to be the most expensive and difficult production of all time for Fox and the entertainment press was already beginning to whisper rumors that Fox's Titanic would be an enormous flop. Hello?
4: Jim, it's Jamie. I have something you might like. Uh,
1: but you need me in a good mood. Oh, uh, yes. Not, not a good time. I'll call you back.
0: James was on set in Rosarita, going up into the motorized crane with a bullhorn and camera attached to it. With this, James could swoop all around, giving instructions to people on the deck of the Titanic. And the more time passed, the more gossip he was hearing secondhand about how much of a disaster his film was. He knew his friends and his parents were reading the same headlines, seeing him struggling publicly to supervise an impossibly ambitious project, and with so many hoping he'd fail. Variety had even launched a regular Titanic Watch column scrutinizing the latest fallout from set. James knew he'd get a call from the executives soon, if not the head of Fox's parent company, News Corp. For now, he was up in his crane, the God's eye view of his set, with Leonardo DiCaprio on the deck.
1: All right, we all set up here? Leo! Hey, Jim! You ready to improvise some magic?
0: In the film, Jack is a poor teenager who won his ticket aboard this majestic ship in a card game. James wanted a scene of Jack discovering the front bow of the ship, an emotional high for his character. But everything felt too staged, and the lines weren't landing right.
4: So do you kind of want me to hoot and holler when I get up on this railing, or what?
1: Yeah, yeah, but uh, maybe say something. Uh, Whatever comes to you naturally.
4: I'm just not sure what Jack would shout out in this moment, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm coming up snake eyes too. Um... Other than just going... Woohoo! Like, I'm on a roller coaster. All right, I, I've got one for you. Just say, I'm the king of the world. Huh? What? Just say, I'm the king of the world, and, and just spread your arms out wide, and just you know be in the moment, and just love it, and just celebrate it, and, and, and love it.
4: What? Why would I yell that? It sounds unnatural.
1: But but you gotta sell it. What? Just fucking sell it. Okay, 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 okay.
0: The line would make for one of the most iconic moments in movie history as Jack soars, arms outstretched on the front of the ship. James sat down at the kitchen table of his tiny little trailer eating cold spaghetti left over from lunch. He knew 20th Century Fox was panicked at the escalating costs. He was dreading his next phone call with them.
5: Who's there? It's Bill. Bill? Bill Mechanic, Jim.
0: The head of Motion Pictures had driven down the Baja Peninsula to Rosarito, and James knew it was never good when one of the suits made a house call.
1: Hey, Jim. Uh, hey, Bill. What, uh... What are you doing here?
0: James sat back down to continue eating his plate of cold spaghetti.
5: Looks really great out there,
1: Jim. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of things nobody's ever done before, so it's, it's really going to be unique. Well... Is this the part where you say it's the money? Well, you've got to appreciate
5: our position. I'm very appreciative. And we want to keep it looking great. Well, alright then. But from a financial standpoint, this film is wildly out of control, and we really need to contain the damage.
0: Bill laid two pages of notes on the table, a list of shots yet to be filmed, with some of them highlighted.
5: These are some shots we'd like you to cut from the shooting schedule.
0: James' eyes widened. He was worn down from lack of sleep and stress, dark circles under his eyes. He scanned the list, and his body stiffened, as if bracing for the confrontation to come.
5: Things are getting pretty desperate, Jim.
1: I've cut over 30 shots already.
0: Bill nodded his head, as if to empathize with James.
1: You want me to to hack apart the film I've put now years into? (sighs) Well, yeah.
0: Fox had over-leveraged itself. Now a lot was riding on this film.
5: This could... well, you know what this could do to us. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? It's not a sure thing. You think it's going to bomb? I don't know, Jim.
0: James slid the pages back across the table and looked Bill square in the eyes.
5: (laughs) Look, we started thinking 100, maybe 120 million. I have no idea where we're at now. You have got to start making cuts. I'm not going to lose my job over this. This keeps up.
1: I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it.
5: Excuse me? Jim, we're on pace for $200 million on this. I've already made cuts here, Bill. Jim, it's beyond me. Peter's going to have my head. Now Rupert's wondering what's going on.
0: Rupert was Rupert Murdoch, who owned Fox's parent company, News Corp. He was worried about the decision-making at 20th Century Fox.
5: We have to do something,
1: or it's me and you both, buddy. If you want to cut my film, you'll have to fire me too. And if you're going to try to fire me, You're going to have to kill
0: me! Jim! James stood up and stormed out of his trailer.
1: Jim, come on. Let's talk. Nothing to talk about, Bill. If you're such an expert, you can finish the movie yourself. Shit.
0: Bill and everyone at 20th Century Fox knew James couldn't be replaced. He was the writer, the director, the creator of this film. He was irreplaceable. Bill got back into his BMW for the long drive back to Los Angeles, filled with worry. If they fired James, it meant losing the film and at least $75 million. The company would take a hit, and so would the executives. It was a bad spot, but Bill knew and believed in James' vision, so he'd recruit another film studio, Paramount Pictures, to help share their financial burden in exchange for giving them a share of the revenue, if they ever broke even.
1: Jim. Hey, Bill. So, I understand your position here. I want this. So, here's what I'll do.
0: As a sign of goodwill, James agreed to forfeit his directing fee and his producing fee, and he gave back his own stake in the film so he could keep control of his masterpiece. He would receive no money for the success of Titanic, but at least it would get made, Titanic had become the world's biggest passion project. As the sun set the next day in Rosarito, James charged through the warm ocean air. He had a long way to go. The silhouette of his Titanic blocking out the orange-pink clouds on the horizon. James felt filmmaking is war and already every battle with the studio was life or death, all or nothing, and he refused to give in. Now he had a firm release date he had to meet, December 19th, 1997, and two studios would be breathing down his neck, tens of thousands of jobs on the line, a level of pressure that could crush any other filmmaker, and they expected nothing less than a diamond. Stay tuned for a preview of the next episode of Blockbuster and a short conversation about this episode.
1: Hey, I'm Ross Marquand. I play the role of James Cameron in Blockbuster. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks.
0: On the final episode of Blockbuster...
4: Jamie, how's it going? Hey, Jim. I was just wondering if you are in a good mood. Uh...
0: James and Jamie create an iconic movie moment for the end of Titanic.
3: James! Director James Cameron, how are you feeling tonight?
0: Yeah, very good. James fights to hold himself together as early negative reviews roll in.
3: The film is three hours long. What do you say to the people who are not going to go see it?
0: Oh, uh,
1: well... uh,
0: And Titanic refuses to sink. I'm going to have to reinvent myself all over again. That's coming up on the finale of Blockbuster, the story of James Cameron. I'm series creator Matt Schrader.
4: Hey, I'm the sound designer, Peter Boviets.
0: I'm Fernando Arroyo Lascurain, the composer.
3: I'm producer Elena Bavietz.
0: I'm Ross Marquand, and I play the role of James in Blockbuster. And this is our creator chat about Episode 9. You just heard from Blockbuster, the story of James Cameron. It's the penultimate episode, the finale coming next week. And this was an episode where a lot of stress of assembling Titanic is all starting to compound. We, of course, start with Kate and Leo meeting uh, in that first scene. And I really liked our Leo for this, actor Mojan Arya, And uh, he starts out saying, "Eh, this scene seems a little light for me, playing Leo.
4: Oh, yeah. And Mojan fits so well with the attitude <laughs> uh, of uh, <laughs> yeah, it's right. too light for me. Uh, but that's the truth. That's sometimes, you know, what actors are like. They'll, they'll have their own take on something, but they always want those big lines. And, of course, Leo ends up with the biggest line of the movie. I'm the king of the world. Yep. Um, but that's later down the road. Right now, at the very top of the, the this episode, we are with Kate Winslet and Leo for the first time trying to work together, right? Because this is a screen test, really. And the thing that I... Th- really like about these scenes is just like season one where we had harrison ford trying out lines Mm -hmm. it's the same situation it's like it's such a well-known scene it's such Everybody knows these lines from the movie, right? And these are really known movies. So it's really fun to recreate these things. It's really a fun thing to do.
3: We had um, a lot of casts and auditions for those parts. And for Kate, we were looking for someone who really embodied sort of like transatlantic accent of the time, not quite Mm -hmm. British, not quite American. Um, and we had a lot of Kate Winslet's, but eventually found someone who was really strong vocal match. And I actually remember when yeah. uh, we were listening to it, Matt and I, and I was like, oh, my God, Like she actually sounds so, so close. Yeah. Um, Moira. But there was also, she was great. Yeah. And, and there was also this like sort of like, you know, like she's like a little funky. She's a little, you know, the the energy. That's what was very important. She had that energy. Mm -hmm. So that was great. Leo, though, he was quite a challenge because um, Leonardo DiCaprio, he doesn't have this sort of like a unique voice, you would think, but he has a very specific sort of manner of speech and like cadence to his voice. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turned out that it was really hard to find someone who actually matches him. And then I realized that, like we realized that everyone knows what he sounds like yep. somehow we just realized, like hey what about mojan because mojan actually has that very same like manner of speech and cadence to his voice
4: and then it turned mm-hmm. out that they actually share a uh
3: vocal coach a vocal coach yeah which is really interesting <laughs> uh yeah and then when we tried him out he was just perfect
0: and peter how many times did we make mojan scream i'm the king of the world more than we should uh because yeah. obviously it's a tricky line <laughs> We could hear his voice getting a little bit scratchier and a little bit scratchier.
4: Yeah, but I talk with Mujan on the phone quite often. That's his voice. (laughs) He's alive. It's okay. (laughs) It's
0: good. Ross, the standout scene in this episode. Well, there's there's two of them. There's the fight at the very end when James storms out of his trailer with uh, Bill Mechanic, 20th Century Fox, saying he wants to cut out parts of the movie. But my favorite is the scene where someone spikes the soup. Uh, it just I can't I can't even believe this is real. It's one of those
1: <laughs> stories you hear from Hollywood lore that you're like, oh no, that's that's there's no that way can't that's be. possible. <laughs> like Right. Um but I love it. It's incredible. I think uh whoever spiked it, I know a you know, disgruntled employee or whatnot, but uh I mean it just it just it's 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 incredible that they went through all of that, and then of course the uh, the ad Christie who, who charges at James with a pen, stabs him with mm-hmm. it. I mean, right, Yeah. What what, what? what? You you couldn't make this stuff up, and uh, I just love that you know at the end there you you talk about uh, Bill Paxton coming in and saving him, just being like game
4: over, man.
1: You know. I, I can only imagine how awkward the rest of that shoot was after that. I mean, I know things get uh, emotionally charged and everyone's at each other's throat, especially if you're working long hours and you're not sleeping. But my goodness, I, I cannot imagine being on a film set where this type of thing happened and still going to work every day for another <laughs> month or two after that i just or for several right oh yeah right just the morale of the set i'd be looking over my shoulder the, every single day you know making sure that i brought my own sack lunch and and was only drinking bottled water you know because i'd just be terrified the, the whole time that's that something bad would happen after that you know
0: peter the sound design of this scene was something you created in the last few weeks before we released
4: yeah um And actually, it was something that I started sketching very early on.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
4: I didn't have to experiment with drugs. Uh, We (laughs) just looked at the story and we said, okay, so this is basically what's happening. And it wasn't really about making it designy, quote unquote, and like, oh, here's some fun sound effects. It was what we understood very fast is this is his nightmare. Yeah. And. Everything that was happening up until now in the story that you heard, we want to, in some shape or form, start bringing it back distorted uh, as, you know, his visions, everything overwhelming him. Because, uh, yeah, one, one layer of it is the drugs, but the second one is just the impression that... That surreal experience made on, yeah, him. it reflects so. this
0: this real panic of being out of control in mm-hmm. something where you're supposed to have the ultimate control, and so much is riding on, and yet you're you're not. Everything is spiraling, and it's very literally. In this case, it's literally spiraling. There's a conga line forming. There's you know someone charging him with a pen. So th- this is this is a about as weird as it can possibly get, and
4: as as much fun as it could sound like it was, oh, the whole crew was on drugs. Like, just remember one thing. He knows he's over budget. He knows he's behind schedule. He knows he is the most talked about project in the world. Nobody ever had a budget like this. And this happens.
0: And, Fernando, this episode, it, there's there's not as much music as in some episodes mm-hmm. that we've had in the past. But we're also starting to lead into our big finale here, episode 10. And all of these things that James has been through that are 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 about to come full circle.
4: Yeah, throughout this episode, even though there isn't a lot of music, when there is music, it either is to accentuate an important moment or, you know, lead us into what's gonna become of Titanic right. in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But also, as the episode ends, we start seeing everything fall apart for James Cameron, and um, we made a conscious decision of not. Scoring the argument with Bill Mechanic because we wanted it to sound raw, just as most of the more uncomfortable moments of our life happen. There's no soundtrack to our lives. It's just raw emotion. And of course, we see at the end of this episode, James Cameron agreeing to give up his sharing Titanic's profits so that he can keep control of the movie.
0: And yeah. everything is on the line for him. And our bonus interview for this episode is a conversation with the man you heard in that final scene, Bill Mechanic, former head of uh, motion pictures at 20th Century Fox. You'll hear about what it was like telling James Cameron he can't do things <laughs> and how much danger he felt for the future of the studio <laughs> at that point. Um Fascinating conversation that uh, that i I really enjoyed and we hope you'll check out. and uh, a cool story also about a, uh, a a poster of Titanic that James personally signed uh, that's hanging on the wall. We'll put a picture of that on social media as well um which uh, which had its own story to it that I found really, really interesting. um I want and to we, know that well you'll have to listen and uh, we will be back after the final episode of Blockbuster the story of James Cameron next week we'll finally be able to discuss a few of the things we haven't wanted to spoil just yet but we can't wait for you to hear it and hope you'll share this podcast with all your friends we've been receiving so many messages of support and people saying they're getting teary eyed at some scenes we're so grateful to be able to make this and uh, your support means the world to us thank you so much but for now for Fernando Elena Ross and Peter I'm Matt Schrader Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here after the finale. Woohoo! Thanks. Blockbuster is written and narrated by me, Matt Schrader. Sound design by Peter Bavietz. Original music by Fernando Arroyo Lascarain. Produced by Elena Bavietz. Starring Ross Marquand. For more on Blockbuster, follow us on social media at Blockbuster Pod. Or visit us online to support the creators at getblockbuster.com. Blockbuster is an original production of Epiclef Media.